And since she is not, I'm going to go ahead and sing a cappella. So, <clears throat> but why are y'all laughing? Some of y'all must have heard me sing before. I don't know what Elizabeth had going on this weekend where she couldn't prepare. No, I'm just playing. The wedding was beautiful. I'm so excited for you guys. I know that for Rose and I, it's just gotten better and better and better as the years have gone on, mainly because I've gotten better and more and more trained to know what she wants. But marriage is, is something that um, is beautiful, is ordained by God, is gifted by God, but it takes a lot of work. And I know that you guys are, are willing to put that work in. And so if, if she ever gives you any trouble, Colt, don't call me. But anyway, we're in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we uh, finished the third chapter last week, and we have been going verse by verse through this for several weeks now, months even, and this is one of those passages where uh, it stands by itself. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 today, uh, but if you, ha- if you know the, the first part of this book, this letter, And if you know where we're going, then in context, this is even more powerful. And so just a brief summary of where we've been in Peter, in this letter written by Peter. Um, We have seen that some of the main reasons Peter is writing this is to encourage people and challenge people who are experiencing persecution. Uh, The first thing that he does in the letter after greeting them is, is he makes sure that they know that their relationship with Jesus is secure in him, that he, their salvation is kept by him in heaven, ready to be revealed in the last days. And so he, he starts encouraging them, and he continues to encourage them over and over and over again through this. Uh, but he is realistic with them, and he tells them that on this side of eternity, they will experience suffering, they will experience hardships. And I know that uh, all of us in this room, with the exception of a couple of these babies in here, have probably already experienced some hardships and some trials. And so there is encouragement in this to persevere. And last week we saw where Jesus persevered the most because not only did he persevere, but he he remained righteous and, and without sin as he persevered, as he went through temptation, as he went through those things. And not only that, uh, not only did Jesus go through the most intense temptation and perseverance, but he also re- will receive the greatest blessing, has already received blessing, and there's still more to come. And in the same sense, we have been looking at how when we persevere in the midst of persecution, we, get, we, we will be blessed. And there are some blessings that are not earned at all, that salvation, for example, it is by grace that we have been saved, um, not, not by works, right? It's just a gift. It's not earned. Uh, but there are some things, rewards that are promised in Scripture that are directly affected by our level of obedience. Um, and there's also punishment that is directly related to our level of disobedience. And so we've been looking at those things over the last few weeks. And today we're going to continue to look at how to flee temptation and how to avoid uh, 
the battles of the flesh uh, and how that can be a testimony to others. And, and so we, we have all experienced this. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that following him can, can be tough sometimes, that uh, not sinning can be a difficult thing. We, in fact, if you've been saved for more than just a few minutes, then you've probably sinned since you came to know Jesus. And we have the opportunity to repent, and we have the opportunity to continue to strive to follow him and to get better at following him and to grow closer to him and things like that. But the, the one thing that I want to make sure that we have correct this morning as we dive into this passage is context. And the context is, is that we're going to be seeing a lot of truth, but we have to remember all the grace that this letter and the rest of the Bible uh, throws in with the truth. If you remember in John chapter 1, uh, Jesus came full of truth and grace, both, full of both of them. And so as we look at this this morning, and you begin to beat yourself up over some things, or you begin to wonder uh, why you're not living for Jesus better, I'm, I'm not making excuses for you. Those are questions that we should struggle with at times. Uh, but I also want you to remember that uh, our salvation is not dependent upon how good we are. It is dependent upon our faith in Jesus and how good he is. And so with that said, let's look at um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. In verse 1 it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And so if you remember at the end of the last chapter, we had some language that was confusing. And there was even this, uh, if you have your Bibles, feel free to take a peek at this. But at the end of chapter 3, there was this passage where we're not real sure exactly what is being said. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross and before his resurrection, did he go back to preach to people who were, had previously died? Or was it just a weird way of comparing the suffering that Jesus went through to the suffering that Noah went through? And, and we, we talked about some different options, but we didn't really settle on anything. And in the midst of this weird language, we, we jump back to the main point that Christ endured. And since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh and, and we are followers of Jesus, then we should arm ourselves. It says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So Jesus knew that what was important was for him to honor God, to do the right thing, to persevere. And in doing so, he would not only honor God, but he would see how it affected the people around him. I know that many of you have thought about this many times, but if it wasn't for Jesus's obedience, if it wasn't for his perseverance, then not only would he have missed out on blessing, but we would have missed out on blessing. We would have missed out on salvation. If, if Jesus was in the garden, and for those of you who don't know, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he knew that it was coming. He knew his death was imminent. And he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he spent some time praying to the Father, and he said, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass, then let it. The cup being his death coming. But nevertheless, I will be done and not my own. So you, whatever you desire, God, if this is the only way people can get saved, is it, if this is the only solution to the chaos of this world, then I'll do it. But if there's any way to achieve that without my death, then let's do that plan. And there, but there wasn't a way. And so Jesus had to persevere. 
And in his persevering, uh, not only did he receive the blessing from that, but we received the blessing from that. And we are to, to have the same mind as Jesus. We are to look at our lives, and we are to look at the things that lie before us, and we are to persevere. Logan knows what I'm talking about. And so when we look at life, sometimes it seems like we go through seasons where all we see are blessings, where it's just one great thing after another that God has done for us. And then other times we go through seasons where we, that's not our reality. Sometimes we go through seasons where it's one difficult moment, one trial, one temptation after another. And in those moments, in those times, it's easy for us to lose sight of Jesus. It's easy for us to, to um, not keep our eyes on him and to not persevere. But we are called to think in the same way that Jesus thought, which means we are. I'm sorry, it's so awesome to hear all these babies in here. It's a good, it's a good uh, sign for our church. So, um, but anyway, stop being distracted by all the cuteness, Philip. Um, so we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have to have the same mind that he had. And what that means is, is that we have to be ready and willing to persevere in the midst of chaos, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of persecution even. We have to be ready to persevere uh, because that is what is right, because that is what honors God, and because there are other people relying on our perseverance. It, it's easy, if, if you're like me, and for those of you who haven't been here um, I am the worst sufferer ever. If, if there is any kind of hardship in my life, um, I'm going to be the person that's just complaining about it. If, if I have a cold, I think I have the flu, okay? Uh, I'm the worst sick person. I'm, I, I'm just terrible at suffering. So I'm not sitting up here saying, uh, you need to be better at going through trials. I'm sitting up here saying, we need to be better at going through trials. But we have to make sure and realize that when we're going through something, yes, it affects us. And, and my natural inclination is to turn my eyes inward and to just think about how this is affecting me and how hard this is. Um, but the reality is, is that when we go through suffering, it affects more than just us. There are people around us. There are people who are watching us go through that suffering. There are people in our lives that are closest to us, in our family, in our close circle of friends who are affected when we go through suffering. Uh, now, I know this isn't true for uh, most of you in here. Uh, that's sarcasm. Uh, but have you ever been affected when someone close to you is going through suffering and maybe they take it out on you or they take it out on the people around them? Uh, I mean... That's never happened in our marriage, but I'm sure that someone has experienced something like that. Um, but my point is, is that when we go through suffering, we're not the only ones affected. And our response to suffering can either be a hindrance to the people around us, or it can be a testimony to the people around us. And if we look at how Christ suffered, what a testimony. When we look at what Jesus went through and his faithfulness and how he went through it, and the fact that he persevered, without sin, 
what a testimony. When we look at what he has done for us, what a testimony. It, every time I, I look into that, every time I gaze at the cross, it makes me love Jesus a little bit more. Every time I fail in my sin, every time I fail in being the, the uh, example that I need to be in the midst of suffering, I think about how awesome it is that I serve a Savior who never failed. I th- I'm thankful that even though I should strive to be perfect in Christ, that when I sin, because I will sin, there is forgiveness in Him. And so, um, we need to make sure that we keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of suffering. I'm going to reread that verse and go into verse 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Let me actually address that last point there. That's not saying that, um, it, it can't be saying that if we have suffered, then we'll never sin again. Uh, how do we know that it's not saying that? Well, that wasn't the case for anybody in the Bible except for Jesus. That's one thing. Uh, but also in our personal experience, how many of you, if you've ever suffered through anything in your life, would you raise your hand for me? Okay, almost everybody. For those of you who haven't, please come tell me your secret after the service. Okay, for those of you who have suffered through anything, how many of you never sinned again after that moment? You never sinned after your suffering. Anybody never sinned again? Okay, no takers. Okay, so we know, that what, we, we know what it can't mean, so what does it mean? For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, what it means is, is that if you have such a relationship with Jesus that, and you love him and you are a follower of his, you have been saved, and you're willing to suffer for him, then it's evidence of that salvation. It doesn't save you. Suffering doesn't save you, but it's evidence of the salvation that has already taken place. And if you have been saved, then you have been saved from the effects of all sin. And so you're no longer in sin. Now, does that mean that just because we've been freed from sin that we will never sin again? No, not on this side of eternity. As long as we're here on earth and as long as we're surrounded by temptation, there is going to be a struggle between the flesh and the spirit for us to do what God desires. And there are going to be moments when we fail unless the Lord comes back. And so um, when it says we have ceased from sin, we have ceased from Sin in the sense of it, no long, we no longer suffer the effects of it on an eternal basis because Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. Um, but we, we still deal with it here in the temporary. Uh, but we have get, been given power over it. Verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So as long as we have left on earth, if we still have breath in our lungs, if, we, if, if we're still alive, then we have a responsibility, if we're followers of Jesus, to strive to do the will of God and not to live for human passions. Uh, when, when I became a Christian at 17, um, I lived for human passions. I did whatever I desired and didn't feel that guilty about most of it. Uh, but then I learned truth, and I came to know Jesus, and... The longer I followed him, the more light he shined on on my sin. And 
the more I realized things needed to change. And the more I realized what sin was and what these things that I were doing, how they not only affected me, but how they affected the people around me, and most importantly, how they dishonored God, the more I no longer wanted to do those things, the more I wanted to follow him. And that's what this is saying. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. When it's saying flesh here, it's just literally talking about our bodies and how long we have left here on earth and that every breath that we have, we should live passionately for Jesus and not for sin. And then it's going to list some sins in verse 3. And throughout the Bible, we see, especially in the New Testament, where sins are grouped together a lot. And sometimes it's just a variety of sins that it's naming. And then other times, uh, there is a specific reason why it chooses certain sins. And I I don't know for sure, uh, but a lot of biblical scholars believe that the reason that they have grouped these sins together is because there were several pagan religions at the time that believed that this was a part of the religious experience, that you did these things to worship your God. And what Peter is saying is is that if you're living for Jesus... (laughs) then you're not living for the flesh and the passions of the flesh. You're living for the will of God and what he desires, which are not these things. Uh, Verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. So for for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. This time is over. There is no more of this in Christ. There's no doing these things when you're living for Jesus. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. And so, many of you know, in that time period, there would be just these pagan rituals where uh, some of them were just insane and crazy, where people would just get together and do whatever they wanted. We see in the Old Testament at times where people were cutting themselves while they were crying out to their God because they were just proving their faithfulness to him by going through that pain, which obviously is is not a biblical thing to do. It's not something that we should do. And over the time, there have been all kinds of theories of how you should appease your gods and please your gods from human sacrifice to these things mentioned here. And what the Bible was saying is, is that no... Those things are evil. Don't do those things. Don't partake in those things. Partake in what honors God. And as Jesus persevered and lived his life without sin, and we're followers of Jesus, we should do the same. But I do want to say that if we're ever reading these things in Scripture where there's a list of sins, and there are plenty of these lists, not just Old Testament, the New Testament also, that we should examine ourselves and make sure that these things are not in our lives. We should examine ourselves and make sure that our heart is for Jesus and that our heart is not for sin. And if we're honest, if we're honest, a lot of times when we begin to examine ourselves, what we realize is, is, is maybe the, drunken, the drinking parties aren't a struggle for you, but the pride is, but the gossip is. And as we begin to examine certain sins, God will shine a light on other areas of our life where maybe in these areas... We're not given into that temptation, but in other areas we are. And all I can say is that when he does that, the, the uh, correct response for us is, is when we realize our sin, to confess that sin, 
ask for forgiveness, and to turn from that sin, to repent. And so, with that said, moving on to verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So what this is saying is, is that there are these common sins that were common in that culture, in the culture of the, the people in that time period that, in which Peter is writing. And when the Christians chose not to join in in the sinful practices, people were surprised. And so that's the first thing, is that it is good when people can recognize that the way we live our lives honors God and in a way that it's surprising to them. And, and this can take many forms. When people, uh, when you're in a crowd, and this goes whether you're in middle school or, or whether you uh, are 110. Uh, anybody in here 110? Okay, so somewhere in between those ages of people that are in here. Uh, we've got some babies in here too, so any age. There are going to be temptations wherever you are, right? If you're in grade school, there, are going to be, there is going to be peer pressure to join in with the sins that the children are committing. Whether it's bullying, you know, you, hey, let's make fun of this kid. And you feel pressure to join in in doing that, even though you know it's wrong. To, um, at the hair salon, not picking on anybody who goes to the hair salon and gossips, but... I've been in the hair salon waiting on my, you know, I don't even know why they charge me for a haircut. I, I mean, it doesn't take them but a second. But anyway, um, I, where you hear every, everything you could want to know and more about the town in the hair salon. Maybe that's just a small town thing. I don't know. But uh, there, is, there is the pressure, the peer pressure, even at, for adults to join in with that gossip to join in with talking about people in a negative way. And so we have to realize that temptation never stops. That we will, as long as we're on this earth, we are going to be tempted, and we have to make sure that we're not joining in with whatever the sin is. And look, I, I don't want to um, seem naive up here. We have to realize, and we have to be honest with ourselves, that some people in this room right now, some people in our community are going to be tempted to do things more than just gossip. They're going to be tempted to have affairs. They're going to be, attempt, they're going to be tempted to use drugs that could potentially ruin the rest of their lives. They're going to be tempted to do a lot of things that could have some dire effects and consequences. Not to say that gossip doesn't have dire consequences. But whatever your temptations are, we are to make sure that we keep our eyes on Jesus, that we persevere without giving in to the sin, and that we are the example that God has called us to be. And when we're struggling with persevering, that's when we seek help from the body, from the church. That's when we seek help from Christian friends. I know that many of you know that um, every Monday night, I get a phone call from my accountability partner, from Michael. And we talk about our week and, and how it was. We talk about the good things, uh, but we also talk about our struggles. We also talk about the temptations. Uh, sometimes we have to confess that we gave in to temptations. And we pray for one another, and we, we hold each other accountable so that we can live for Christ with all of our hearts and that we're not having to do it by ourselves. 
We both have our wives who are incredible women and who love Jesus, and we have each other. And we have more friends than just one another. We have a lot of people that we're living life with, that we're walking through life with. And so if you're the only voice that is standing up against the temptation, then of course it's overwhelming. Of course you, the peer pressure feels like it's too much. But if you have a support, if you have a local church who is holding you up and supporting you and encouraging you, if you have family members and friends, Christians, who are doing that for you, who are honoring you in that way, then that is going to be a help to you to persevere, to move past temptation. And so, we don't join in and they notice it. But sometimes when we don't join in and they notice, if you look at the end of verse 4, and they malign you, which means that they give you a bad name. They treat you harshly. And sometimes that is true. Sometimes when we do the right thing, it costs us. And I've seen this throughout my whole life, that sometimes following Jesus and doing the right thing is not only difficult, but it makes people upset, and it, it brings more persecution on you. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth it. We're promised that any amount of persecution that we experience in our pursuit of Christ and living for him, and it's not like we're promised this just vaguely. We have been specifically told this in First Peter, that when we perse- persevere in the midst of persecution, that we will be blessed. And so we have to keep our eyes on what's coming and not what the reality of the current situation is, but the blessings that are coming. And so with that said, we're moving to verse 5. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So not only will you be blessed, right, so we can persevere for that reason, which is mentioned earlier in chapter 3, but we also need to remember if we're the ones doing the maligning, if we're the ones giving the peer pressure for people to join in with us, if we're the ones doing those things, judgment is coming. And that's not a threat as in to say, oh, you just wait to see what you have coming for you. Because if you have the love of Christ in you, then your desire is for that person to know him and to not experience the full effect of that sin. But for them to experience salvation and forgiveness like you have experienced. But here's what we can know. Is that Jesus will make everything right. And any amount of pain and any amount of suffering that you've gone through, that people have caused for you, they will answer for that. It's not your job to hold them to that. It's not your job to make them answer for that. It's not your job to turn around and since they've maligned you, then you go back and malign them in the community or in the family or whatever the case might be. You leave that up to God. You just continue living your life the way that you're supposed to in a way that honors him, and they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But this should be a warning to us, too. If, if we're the ones doing those things, there will be a day of judgment. And this isn't to say that uh, we have to... Uh, I guess we should make sure that we're looking at this in the right context. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? He loved us so much that he gave the life of Jesus on the cross for us. 
he loved us that much that Jesus, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together came up with a plan to rescue humanity, to save humanity from our own sin, from our own decisions, from our own choices, to save us from ourselves and to save us from the, the wrath and the effects of sin. And the way for that to happen was Jesus came and man had sinned, so man had to pay the price for sin. Well, God became a man. And man, Jesus grew into a, a full-blown adult, and he lived his life faithfully. He never sinned. And when he went to the cross, he was not going to the cross for his own sin because he never sinned. He was righteous. He, it, it, we read that in the last chapter. He's the only one that's ever been righteous, the only human. And yet, he went to the cross to pay for our sins, not to pay for his own, which he had never committed, but to pay for our sins. And it's important to remember that, yes, judgment is coming, but Jesus came to save us from that judgment. In, in, I read John, or I quoted John 3.16 and John 3.17 and 18. We see that he didn't come, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. The world, is, it was already condemned. We, we condemned ourselves. Our own actions, our own sins have condemned us. Jesus came to save us. And so in the midst of this verse that is saying, God will judge the living and the dead, that you better be ready for that judgment. In the same verse that we're reading that, we need to make sure that we understand the context that, yes, he is a God who will do what's right. He will judge wrong. He will make wrongs right. If someone has, has made, caused another person harm and has made another person suffer, God's going to make that right. He has to do that. He's God. He's going to do what's right. But he also, in, in with the same level that his wrath is and the same level of his justice, we have, the same, we have that same level of love and compassion and grace. And he wants to save us. He wants to forgive us. That's what he wants to do. But he lives, leaves that in our hands to where when he calls us, when he draws our hearts, when he convicts us of our sins, that we have to come to him and we have to tell him that we need him. We have to confess our sins. We have to put our faith in him. We have to ask him for salvation. And he'll do that. Verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. Now, there's different ways of interpreting this. You could, if you believe um, one of the interpretations that we mentioned last week, then you could look at this as this is talking, going back to talking about when between Jesus' resurrection and, uh, or sorry, his death and his resurrection. Uh, I think that what this is saying is, is that this is why the gospel was preached. Even before Jesus came, this is why the gospel was preached. That people have always had an opportunity to get saved. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, so back to a present tense of judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And so, in our own flesh and in our own power, we are judged. And if we're trying to earn heaven and earn a right standing with God in our own power, are we going to succeed at that? No. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is what? Death. It's an eternal separation from God. And so if we're trying to earn this by the flesh, if we're trying to earn this in our own power, 
then we're in trouble. But if we're relying on the gospel, the good news of Jesus, if we're relying on all the things that I said about what Jesus has done for us earlier, if we're relying on that, then we have hope. And in that, not only are we saved from the, the effects of sin, but we're saved for something and to something, to be able to live in the Spirit the way that God does. And so my question to you this morning is this. In looking at this whole passage and seeing how Christ suffered in the flesh and how he encourages us to suffer in the flesh, but seeing how the suffering in the flesh led to him being alive in the Spirit, and not only did it lead to him being alive in the Spirit, but it led to him having the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, right? Every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. And in the same way, when we persevere, we're promised blessing. If, if, if we have a relationship with him, if we're saved, and, we, and our suffering is because of our obedience to him, we are per- promised blessing. And we are promised that he will make all things right. And we are promised all those things. We are also promised that we will be an influence on other people. Just as Jesus was an influence on other people, we are an influence on other people. And so what I want you to do this morning is I want you to examine your lives and ask God to examine your heart, to see the deepest parts of you. And what I want you to ask yourselves this morning and and to go to God with these questions is, are you living wholeheartedly for him? Are you persevering in the midst of temptation? Are you persevering in the midst of peer pressure, whatever peer group you have and whatever pressure that might be? Are you persevering in the midst of that? Are you persevering the way that Christ did? Because we are coming after him. If if we call ourselves Christians, then we are to live by his name and we're to live like him. And he persevered to the uttermost. And so are we doing that? Are we realizing the influence that we have on other people? And you might say, well, I don't have that much influence. I guarantee you, you have influence. And you have more influence than you think you have for most of us in here. If you look at the people that you come into contact with every day, whether that's people in your family, where you work, where you go to school, on Facebook, if you look at the number of people that you come into contact with in some form where you have an opportunity to influence them for good or for bad, you have an incredible influence. I mean, I don't even really get on Facebook that much anymore because it's, it's, it can be a toxic place, you know. It can be pretty negative. You could be a person who chooses to shine a light in the midst of that negativity. If you think about your life in your home, in your community, the number of people that you come into contact with, you can be the person that people are grateful that God put you in their path, or you can be the person who is causing others to stumble. You can be the person who is tempting others to do wrong. And what we have to realize is is that We're not just held accountable and responsible for our obedience. 
we're going to be held accountable and responsible for how we affected others. And that's clear here in this passage, and it's clear throughout Scripture. And so my question to you this morning is, are you living faithfully for Jesus? Are you living wholeheartedly for him? And I know, for me, I love Jesus, I strive to live for him, and I fail a lot. And I know I need to do a better job of influencing people the way that Christ influenced people. And not, not by my flesh or my power, but by his spirit. And I know that I need to make changes in my life that help others have more joy, that help others live for Christ more wholeheartedly. I know there are changes I can make. And I assume that there are those of you in here this morning who know the same thing. And so, during this time of invitation, um, we'll have some music going, and, and while the music is playing, that will be a time for you to talk to God, to reflect on your heart, to, to think about the scripture that was taught this morning, and, um, and to ask yourself what needs to change. What changes need to take place in my life for me to be more like uh, Jesus and less like the people given into temptations that are mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And during this invitation, as we're singing, if you need someone to pray for you, I'll be more than happy to pray for you. I'll be right down here. If you need to just come to the altar and, and pray and get on your knees or, or whatever posture you need to be in, and, and to pray and to ask God to help you to persevere or to help you to be a better influence or to forgive you for a sin or whatever you need to pray, then this will be an opportunity for you to respond personally to God. And you can do that where you are, but there seems to be something about taking that step of faith and moving from your physical location to another location that helps you spiritually remember, I made a decision on this day to do this thing for Jesus. And so for accountability purposes, you might need to come forward. But you respond in whatever way God is leading you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that you would help us to persevere as Christ perseveres, that you would help us to be faithful as Christ was faithful. And we know that we cannot do this on our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, by the power given to us, by Jesus' victory over sin, and the fact that we no longer live in sin, I pray that you would help us to, to live our lives in a way that honors you, that is wholeheartedly for you. And it's not about what we shouldn't do or what we can't do. It's, it's about us living a life wholeheartedly for you, in love with you. And, and yes, we know the effects of, of temptation, and we know the negative effects that that has on us and others. And I pray that you would convict us of those things and that we would repent. But, Lord, I also pray that you would help us to always remember the positive influence that we can have on others, the power that can be in a smile, the power that can be in not joining in on the gossip or the bullying or whatever the peer pressure is. Help us to remember the influence that we can have here on earth. And, God, I pray that you would just convict every heart now in whatever way that you want to lead us and that your will would be done in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My love.
life, my love, I give to thee, thou Lamb of God who died for me. Oh, may I ever faithful be, my Savior and my God. I'll live for him who died for me. How happy then my life shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. I finished a couple minutes early. You guys can be seated for a second because I just want to um, remind you guys that uh, when we look at, at Scripture and how we are to live our lives, we can know that by looking at Jesus, right? The example that he has set. Um, but, but there have been many who have set an example for us and who have lived their lives in a way that should be remembered. And today is Memorial Day, or tomorrow is Memorial Day. This is Memorial Day weekend. And so uh, what I would like for us to do as a congregation is to remember those men and women who gave their lives for our country. Um, we have people who are still giving their lives for our country. We have people here in our church and in our community who have kinfolk who have given their lives for our country. And so we need to remember that. And so I, I just want to encourage you that whatever you're doing this weekend, that you would remember that uh, Jesus set an example for us to follow, and he deserves to be remembered for that. He gave his life for us, and he deserves to be remembered for that. And also, he is God, so more than anyone else, he deserves to be remembered. Uh, but there are others that deserve to be remembered. And we live in a country where, uh, I, of course, I have plenty of disagreements with the way that we do things and the way the political system is and just the negativity and all of that. But we still live in a country where we have more freedoms than most people around this world could ever imagine having. And so we need to be grateful and thankful for those who uh, gave their lives for this country. And so what I would like to do is uh, to say a prayer for those of you who uh, have lost loved ones, uh, for our community who I know has lost loved ones, and just that um, God would keep our troops and, and other troops around the world safe, that we wouldn't have a need for war anymore, that people would give their lives to him. And so if you would allow me uh, to pray. Lord, we love you, and I just pray for the families of those who are left behind. Lord, I know that it is difficult, it is hard. Lord, uh, no matter how great the good is, the loss is, is, is still hard, Lord. And even when you gave your life, even, even in that moment where eternity was at stake and salvation was at stake, uh, it was still difficult for those who lost you in that way, in those moments. And so we pray for those who have lost loved ones, and we pray for our country. Lord, those men and those women gave their lives uh, for an ideal, Lord, that we need help reaching. And I pray that even more than what their ideal might have been, that we would be a country who falls in love with you, who lives our life in a way that honors you, and that we would use the Bible as a reason to love others and to pursue peace and to pursue righteousness and justice um, and not as an excuse to use our power for, for negative things. Lord, I pray that you would be with all of our soldiers who are all across the globe right now 
that you would keep them safe. And that next year at this time, Lord, may we have not lost one soldier in that time period. Lord, we thank you that you have given us um, a weekend to remember these soldiers, and I pray that we would do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.